We hope you'll be blessed and inspired and challenged and motivated by this fresh word from Christian Heritage Church. This morning, we want to take another moment and honor men. I love Father's Day because it allows us to honor men. So I've asked Daniel Lopez, our youth pastor, and Chris Anna Rivera, our college and adult pastor, to come tonight and give you, or this morning, and give you the top 10 reasons we're glad we're men. Enjoy this. I'm going to let Chris start. As you can see, he's all suited up, so he's a father. I'm not. I'm a future father, so. But he's the great, great father. Amen. All right. Amen. Top 10 reasons why it's good to be a man. Number 10, I agree. All right. (laughs) Phone conversations are over 30 seconds long. That's good. (laughs) This is the one I love the most. Babe, you can, you, you can, you know this one. A five-day holiday requires only one suitcase, not two. (laughs) Okay, guys in hockey masks don't attack you unless you're playing hockey. (laughs) So, Pastor Steve, I mean, I'm pretty, I mean, you're you're still young too, but you can, you can, uh, you can get with this one. I can't. Gray hair (laughs) and wrinkles only add character to men, right? It makes them more handsome. So I'm not there yet. One day. Okay. I know all guys can agree with this one. If another guy shows up at the same party with the same outfit, you might become lifelong buddies. (laughs) (laughs) Um, This one, I mean, I don't know about me, but again, Pastor Steve is probably for you. (laughs) One wallet, one pair of shoes. One color, all seasons. Amen. Right? There's no changing it up. Universal. (laughs) All fellas. There's a game on somewhere. (laughs) There is a game, yeah, every every day. (laughs) Your pals can be trusted never to trap you with. So, hey, man, uh, do you notice anything different? Nah. No? You know, women always do that, but men, we don't, we don't really care about that. No. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, it's your eyebrows, man. Did you pluck them a little bit right there? Nah. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. Now, this is my uncle right here. <laughs> if something mechanical doesn't work, you can bash it with a hammer, throw it across the room, and fix it with duct tape and bailing wire. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Oh, this one's good right here. I actually, my, my pocket knife's my, 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 my teeth, but you can actually do your nails with the pocket knife. Amen. <laughs> Amen. I, I was filing my nails yesterday. I was like, babe, watch. This is going to come out better than the person that you go to the salon. Watch. Lick them, polish them real quick. <laughs> but those, that's it. Those are your top ten reasons why it's great to be a man. Amen. <laughs> Thank you, Daniel. Thank you, Chris. Appreciate your help this morning very, very much. And happy Father's Day to all of you. Take your Bibles this morning and turn with me, if you would, please, to the book of 1 Peter. This message is the third message in what has become the series, Hope in a Dark World. And I want to talk to you today about knowing your assignment. As you're turning, I want to remind you, if you're a young married couple or a younger married couple, that doesn't so much 
refer to your age as maybe the length of your marriage, the next Sunday after church, Prime is a brand new ministry that will be meeting, serving lunch in the fellowship hall. They want you to be there. Uh, Brandy and Grant, would you stand up? Brandy and Grant Willis are our leaders. And there's a sign-up sheet out at guest services. Please get your name on it today before you leave. Additionally, Vacation Bible School is set for July 17th through the 20th. Miss Sean needs a lot of help. She's got a table on Main Street. Please sign up to be a part of Vacation Bible School and minister to the children in our church and in our community as well. First Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, the Bible says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for the obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. There's everything we need to hear today. It's grace to you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God. You need to underline that in your scripture today. Who are kept by the power of God, through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with inexpressible and full glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your soul. Father, now... Add your anointing to the preaching of your word. Put me on like a coat today and wear me. Let your words flow through me and your Holy Spirit touch the heart and life of every person gathered in this room today. Minister life in Jesus' name I ask it. Amen. We've already talked about the fact that we do live in a very dark world. A world that's filled with all types of pitfalls. A world that is now turning so that even in the Western society, the church is coming under pressure and in sometimes persecution. I had no idea last Sunday morning when they made the statement that what we're seeing in the Mideast and in Asia and parts of Africa will come to America as well. I didn't know that previously that Sunday morning, 49 people had been killed in Orlando by Islamic jihadists. I had no idea. But it only proves the fact of what I'm saying, that we need to understand this type of terrorism and this type of persecution is coming to America as well. And you and I need to be ready. We need to be prepared. We need to be equipped. We need to be alert and watching at all times. When Peter wrote these words to the disciples who had been dispersed, dispersed from Jerusalem back to Asia Minor, he did so because they had already endured and were continuing to endure persecution for their faith, pressure, because they chose to believe in Jesus Christ. But Peter says, in those times... When society is against you, when the government turns against you, when it seems like there are more enemies without than there is help within, you need to remember, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have a living hope. It's not dead, it's not anchored in something that's insecure, but in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our hope is fast and secure. 
It's interesting that Peter doesn't write to ease the burden of that pressure, but rather he tells us in that time, simply prepare yourself. Be ready. Live with passion, as we talked about last week. Will Rogers, one of my favorite Okies, said it this way. Life's not about how high you climb or how fast you run, but how well you bounce. You need to remember that, church, because in this society, you've got to be resilient. You've got to be able to get up again after you're knocked down. You've got to understand you do have an enemy. There is an adversary, and he will try to do everything to put you down. But it's up to you to stand on the living hope that comes through the resurrection and rise and declare, no matter what, no matter when, no matter who, I'm standing for Jesus Christ. I'm going to declare him to be true. So how do we survive in times of great stress and anxiety like we live in today? And really, our goal shouldn't be just to survive as believers. Our goal should be to thrive, to excel, to live with passion, to live that life that Jesus declared was full of glory, that life that is more than just ordinary, that life that is extraordinary. How do we do that? We talked last week about living with passion. This week, I want to talk to you about knowing your assignment. When you read 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1 from the message, it says it this way. I, Peter, am an apostle on assignment by Jesus the Messiah. He knew exactly who he was and what he was doing, and he knew where his assignment came from. May I say to you today, once you become a member of the family of God, you too have an assignment. Every one of us have an assignment given to us by God. God's given you a mission. There's a reason why you're alive in 2016. There's a reason why you're living in Tallahassee, Florida. There's a reason why you're in the job you're in and the church you're in. Because you, my friend, have an assignment. You're not overlooked. You're not inconsequential. God remembers you and he has a plan for your life. Every one of us need to understand that. A few years ago, a survey was done by some sociologists at Harvard. And they asked a group of individuals from the age of 18 to 35, what is your greatest question in life? Do you know what they said? They said, our greatest question is, why am I here? Why am I here? They didn't understand assignment. Every one of us need to understand assignment. David, when he was a mere teenager, was given an assignment through the prophet Samuel. And that assignment was to be the king over all of Israel. Now, at that time, he was tending sheep back in the back places. He wasn't a man of prominence or position. His father even overlooked him. But God looked down and God saw him. And God said, that's the one I want. And I'm giving you an assignment. I'm speaking to somebody in this room this morning. God has not forgotten you. He has not overlooked you. Those things he's spoken to your life shall come to pass. Thirteen years passed from the time David was anointed until he became the king over Judah. Another three years before he became the king over all of Israel. What am I saying? Don't give up on your assignment. Believe God has a plan for me. If you don't know it, find it and get in it in Jesus' name. He has an assignment for each and every one of us in the kingdom of God. You're not just here to take up space. Let me kind of go down a rabbit trail for half a second. You're not just in this church to sit in a seat and occupy a seat. You're here for a reason, for an assignment. Over the last few months, tons of folks have came in and said, we want this to be our church home. I'm thrilled. I'm glad. But now it's time to step into your assignment. 
You say, what is that? That's not up for me to determine. That's up for you and God to determine. But you need to figure it out because all of us have a role to play in the kingdom of God. He doesn't look over any of us. He saved you for a reason. And that reason is to step into your assignment. The mission that God gave to Jesus... You remember what Jesus said? He said, the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. The same mission that God gave to Jesus, Jesus gave to you and me. Says it this way in John chapter 17, verse 18, from the Message Bible, in the same way that you gave me a mission in the world, I give them a mission in the world. Every one of us have an overarching mission, and that's to take the gospel to those that are in our world. Our world may not be Africa. Our world may not be Asia. Our world may not be Latin America. Our world may be our street. Our world may be our neighborhood. Our world may be our workplace. But every one of us have a mission to reach our world with Jesus Christ. Over a year ago, Mark Gephardt stood here and he said, if each one will just reach one, the church doubles in a year. I'm looking around and we haven't done that. Come on, folks, it's time to know your assignment. Your assignment is to expand the family of God. On Father's Day, we talk about families. Can I tell you that our Heavenly Father wants His family to enlarge? He wants his family to grow. God doesn't want that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. But the knowledge, the word, the witness, the testimony is our assignment. It's our responsibility to carry to those around us. Sometimes when we understand our God-given assignment, it means we have to reposition ourselves. See, we get so comfortable. We get so entrenched. We get so a part of this is me and who I am that sometimes God has to reposition us. Sometimes he puts us in a place of discomfort so that we'll look to him for the strength and the courage to fulfill the assignment. I know that's not popular today, but it's still true. I mean, think about it for just a moment with me. If Naomi, excuse me, if Ruth hadn't determined to leave Moab with Naomi, her mother-in-law, and go back to Bethlehem, she would have died in that heathen land as a young widow. But she chose to allow God to reposition her, to move her to a place where she may not have been comfortable, move her from all that was familiar, where she had grown up, and take her to Bethlehem. But it was when she repositioned herself that she found that one, Boaz, who was able to be her redeemer kinsman, who provided for her all the days of her life. There, she found God's favor and God's blessing. I'm speaking to somebody in this room today. You need to get up and do what God is telling you to do. He's wanting to reposition you. And I don't necessarily mean moving across the country, but I mean making adjustments in your attitude, adjustments in your thinking. Get out of that rut that you put yourself in and let God reposition you so he can flow through you in power and grace and mercy and your assignment can be fulfilled. Never ceases to amaze me how often we resist being repositioned. I don't want to do that. I don't want to go there. I don't want those people in my life. God is repositioning us so that our assignment can be fulfilled. We need to understand that. We can also look and see in the scripture. There was a lady by the name of Rahab. You'll find it in the book of Joshua. I believe it's chapter 6. As Joshua and the children of Israel were taking the promised land, the first city they had to conquer was Jericho. You remember it was a high-walled city. Massive, thick, it was unbelievable, impenetrable. 
But Rahab had heard about the Israelites and what God had done for them on the other side of the Jordan River. So when Joshua sent spies into Jericho to see what they were up against, Rahab took them in. She hid them. She protected them. You see, she repositioned herself in relationship. She repositioned herself and chose to be in favor with God's people rather than those who were not God's people. And as a result, she was spared and her family was spared. Matter of fact, it's so amazing to me. Both of these ladies I've talked about, both Ruth and Rahab, are then found in the lineage of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Women who allowed God to reposition them so that his assignment for their life could be fulfilled. One in terms of location, another in terms of relationship, in terms of loyalty, being repositioned. Let me say it this way. There's some folks God wants out of your life so that he can put something better in your life. You need to quit fighting it, quit resisting it, and let him do it. Come on, somebody should say amen or oh me. That's a truth. You need to understand God wants to reposition us sometimes in terms of relationship. I'll never forget Jay Anderson. He was 45 years old when he began attending the church I was pastoring in southern Kansas. He'd been a basketball coach, a high school basketball coach his entire life. And after a couple of years, the Holy Spirit began dealing with him. And at 47, he said, I want to follow God into ministry. He wasn't a preacher. He was a good teacher. He was a great coach, but he wasn't a preacher. But I'll never forget how he came up. He became an associate pastor on my staff. And then within a couple of years, God sent him out to pastor a church in Fredonia, Kansas, because God changed his assignment. Was he out of the will of God when he was coaching basketball? Absolutely not. But God said, that's not the final thing for you. I've got something else for you. You spent 20 years coaching boys. Now I'm going to give you 20 years to raise up men and women of God. Oh, come on, somebody hear me. God repositions us so that we can step into our assignment. And when God repositions us, this is what so many of us miss. We think, well, if I do that, then it's all on me. I don't have the resources. I don't have the talent. I don't have the ability. I can't do it. But you need to understand when God repositions you for your assignment, he commits himself and the kingdom to heaven to every resource, every ability you need, and every anointing to make the way and to make it possible. So stop sitting where you're sitting and move into your assignment. Let him reposition you and see something great in the kingdom of God. If you want to live with hope in a dark world, you've got to let God step you, help you step into that assignment and do what he's calling you to do. The Bible is full of stories of people who were repositioned. You remember Abram and his wife Sarah were repositioned from the land of Ur to the the promised land. I can almost hear that conversation when Abram was telling Sarah, it's time to leave. We're going to move. She's saying, where are we going? I have no idea. Where are we going to live? I will stop by Sears and pick up a couple of tents. He had no plan. All he was doing was following God. Oh, come on, folks. If you have to dot every T and dot every I and cross every T, if you have to have it all laid out before you, before you make a move, you will never get to your assignment. Faith is taking one step at a time. Faith is walking in the light that you have. Faith is believing God has my best interest at heart. Faith is saying, I'm going to follow you no matter where you lead, no matter how crazy it seems to me, no matter how difficult that path may become, I'm going to follow Jesus because that is my assignment. And when I follow him, he leads me to greater things. I mean, think about it. 
God had to scatter the disciples after the day of Pentecost in order to take the word to the entire world. Otherwise, those dudes would have sat right there in Jerusalem, been happy with themselves. They'd been having their Holy Ghost party every time they gathered together. Everything was good. There were no issues. But God allowed persecution to come to scatter those individuals so that the word of Jesus Christ could be shared with the entire world. Come on, don't resist what God is doing. It may be uncomfortable, but it's for a purpose and it's for a reason. That reason is to move us into our assignment. When Yvonne and I were called here, we didn't come willingly. We wanted to stay in Colorado. We love the place. But God said, this is your assignment. And if you want to please me, you'll do what I ask you to do. We didn't know how we would get here. We didn't know what would happen. But God has provided every step of the way because this is our assignment. You need to hear it today. You need to know it. You need to understand it. When God is getting ready, you need to write this down. It's not in your notes. When God's getting ready to do something new in your life, he repositions you. He repositions you. He changes relationships. He changes the habits of your life. Sometimes he even changes your locale. But when he's getting ready to do something new, he repositions you. Why? Because he wants you at the right place at the right time. So that he can move and flow in and through your life. You say, well, I don't like that. I understand transitions are never easy. I get that. But if we want to be people of hope in a dark world, we have got to follow the assignment that God has laid out for our lives. We've got to recognize, and I've said it every week, I'll say it again, it's more than one hour on Sunday morning. This thing of the gospel needs to consume us. We need to be impassioned with the fact that every hour 10,000 people die and perish in a devil's hell where there are no second chances. There is no other opportunity. Oh, church, we need to get it in our heart and in our spirit that God has called us. It's our mission. It's our assignment to reach this city for Jesus Christ. That's why I'm so thankful for this alliance between Good Samaritan and our church where we can reach folks who are hungry. Because I believe if we meet that physical need, it opens the door and breaks down the barriers to meet the spiritual need. And I've got news for you, folks. We've got the answer. And the answer is still Jesus Christ. The answer to breaking the cycle of poverty is Jesus Christ. The answer to breaking the cycle of drug abuse is Jesus Christ. The answer to breaking alcoholism is Jesus Christ. The answer to breaking fatherlessness is Jesus Christ. When you and I step into our assignment, God begins to do good things in and through us. And we're amazed by what we're doing. Transitions are never easy. And often we resist it because we prefer to be comfortable. We prefer to remain in the familiar. I prefer a steady paycheck. But we need to understand faith is always a journey. And it often, listen to me, it often, you need to hear it, it often takes us where we would never go on our own. Faith often takes us where we would never go on our own. We need to understand we have an assignment. That assignment is to reach the world around us for Jesus Christ. Those of you who are new, I challenge you this morning. You've been brought here for a reason. You're not just here to be another number and to pay your tithe. God has an assignment for you in this ministry. Find it, plug in, lock in, and let God use you in a mighty way. Ask yourself this question this morning. Is God asking me to shift? 
Is God asking me to reposition? And if so, what is he asking me to reposition? So that I can step into the assignment he has for me. Ask yourself that today. Holy Spirit, right now, drive that question into our hearts and into our lives. What are you asking me to do? What shift or change do I need to make? Because I believe he's getting ready to do a new thing. And he needs you at the right place and the right time. So he can do that in your heart and in your life. I hope you get this. Matter of fact, you ought to buy the CD or buy the tape or listen to it online. It's free, but you need to hear it again and again. God has an assignment for you. And you may need to reposition portions of your life in order to stand in that assignment. So we ask ourselves this morning, what is my assignment? Kingdom assignments come in all different shapes and sizes. They're different for all of us. But when we understand and we accept the assignment, God always provides the resources. He provides the time. He provides the anointing. He provides the wherewithal when we accept the assignment. See, some of us in this room, our assignment is to be a plumber or a mechanic or a doctor or an accountant. Some our assignment is to be a teacher or a manager or a musician. Some our assignment is to be a nurse or a carpenter or a retailer. Some of our assignments is to sweep the floors or to ride the back of the trash truck. It's an assignment. But in that assignment, you can touch the lives of those around you. Listen, we're not all called to be preachers. Matter of fact, there's a lot of folks who think they're called to be preachers that ought to be working at Sears. And there's some folks who are working at Sears that ought to be preaching the gospel. What's your assignment? Find it. Get in it. And let God begin to use you in a powerful way. Colossians 3.23, you all know the scripture. Where Paul said to the church at Colossae, whatever you do, do it heartily. As to the Lord and not unto men. Whatever your assignment is, whatever your role is, do it with gusto. Do it with enthusiasm. Do it with praise unto God because this is my assignment in reaching the world around me. Reminds me of the kid I grew up with. He was 5'2 and weighed 120 pounds when he was soaking wet with three layers of clothes on. And his goal was to be a sumo wrestler. Probably not going to happen. Probably not going to happen. You see, we need to understand that a change of direction is not a tragedy, but a loss of our passion is a tragedy. So don't resist your assignment. Go ahead and flow with God. It's not a tragedy if he moves you, if he repositions you. But if you lose your passion for him and for the kingdom and for what he's put in your heart to do, that, my friend, is a tragedy. We've got enough Christians sitting in churches that are just tender waiting for a fire to strike. Oh, come on, God, blow us up. Fill us again with the fire, the passion, the power of the Holy Ghost. Move us from being nominal believers to believers who are full of the Holy Ghost, who are more interested in the things of God than in the things of this world. Oh, come on, let our conversation be dominated with the things of the kingdom rather than with the new car or the new job or the new set of clothes or who won the NBA finals. By the way, it'll be the Warriors. Mark my word on that. Anyway. Sorry, LeBron fans, I'm just not there. We need to understand we have to be of a heavenly mindset. Now, that doesn't mean we're so heavenly minded we're of no good to earth. I've met folks like that. You have too, right? They miss their assignment. Our assignment is to be real, to be genuine, to be transparent, to allow people to see in us the good times and the bad times. Because the believer that says, I never have any issues, is lying through his teeth. You need to know that. 
You need to understand that. Embrace your assignment, whatever that may be. We need to understand when we don't embrace our assignment, our convictions to change the world are downgraded to a commitment to pay my bills. When we don't embrace our assignment, rather than make a difference, we're satisfied with making a salary. When we don't embrace our assignment, rather than looking forward, we're always looking back. When we don't embrace our assignment, rather than looking outward and upward, we're always looking inward. And I'm going to tell you, when that's your attitude, you're not going to like what you see. Because you're not embracing your assignment. So what is your assignment? That's the question this morning. What is your assignment? What is my assignment? Every one of us have to honor face before God through his word and by the Holy Spirit. Figure that out. If you thought today you were going to come and I was going to tell you your assignment, you don't know me. I don't do that stuff. I'm not going to give you a word that's out of the blue. No, God already knows what he wants you to do. And if you'll seek him and read his word and ask the Holy Spirit, he'll reveal that assignment to you. And that's what I'm challenging you to do today. Don't look to someone else. I get so fed up with these believers who have a word for you and a word for you and a word from you. And God is no more in that than he can fly. Excuse me, than they can fly because he can. Okay. We need to understand God speaks to you. He reveals his will to you. He's a personal God. He's a good, good father. And he doesn't need to speak through Yvonne to speak to me. Come on, do you hear what I'm saying? Now, he might speak through her to confirm what he's speaking to me, but he isn't going to use her as the primary mouthpiece unless I am so tuned out and turned off, there's no other way to get a hold of me. Come on, church. God wants to speak to you and reveal your assignment. Reveal what it is. So what's my assignment? I don't know, but you knew, if you know it, write it down in your outline on the back of your CHC today. This is my assignment. Put it in that space. Put it in writing. Make it clear. Make it concrete. Because until you write it down and read it and rehearse it and, and begin to walk in it, it never becomes real in your life. So write it down. This is my assignment. My assignment is Christian Heritage at Tallahassee, Florida. I know that. There's not a doubt in my mind. And through that, God does a lot of other things. But this is my primary assignment. What's your assignment? You need to ask yourself that question. Well, let's talk about three things very quickly that are the assignment of everyone in this room. The first, we need to realize we have an assignment to defend our faith. Even more now than ever before. See, why did Peter say it this way in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15? Be ever ready to give a reason for the hope that is within you. We're talking about living in hope in a dark world. And if there's truly a hope in you that's grounded in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, folks around you are going to notice. And at some point, they're going to say something to you that gives you an opportunity to explain why you have the hope. Why there's something in you that doesn't make you fear. It doesn't make you buckle. It doesn't make you quake. You don't run and hide out. But there is something in you that's different from those around you. Oh, listen to me. When we see tragedies like last Sunday morning and 49 people are killed because of an Islamic jihadist, you and I don't need to fear. We need to stand in faith and we need to say, yes, the world is evil, but our God is greater. I will not run. I will not fear. I will not bow. I will not bend. His word is true and I am his witness. There is only one way to the kingdom of God and that's through Jesus Christ. We need to be resolute in our faith. We need to stand and be ever ready to give a defense of our faith. What does that mean to me? 
How do I defend my faith? How do you defend your faith? And you need to write that down in that outline. What does that mean to me? How do I defend my faith? Maybe you don't have those answers right now, but take it home with you. Ask the Holy Spirit and write it down when he gives you that answer. Secondly, all of us are called to defend our families. Every one of us are called to defend our families. We defend them in several ways. We defend them through prayer, through intercession. We plead the blood of Jesus Christ over their lives. When we pray for our grandkids, we pray that God would send angels to surround them, to keep them from evil and harm, to protect them, to give them normal, happy, happy, healthy childhoods so they can grow up and be men and women of God. You need to pray specifically for your family. Plead the blood over them because the blood of Jesus Christ is still stronger than any attack, than any force the enemy can bring against them. So you plead the blood over their lives. You believe that God is able to watch over them. But there are some times when you need to go another step. My oldest daughter, Mindy, was in college. It was her sophomore year. She called me. Someone had broken into the house where she and her roommate were living. And she saw the guy as he ran out of the house. The next day, she saw him sitting in a car outside of her house on the street. I said, call the police. She did. They came and investigated, but there wasn't a lot they could do at that point. I didn't blame them. I understood. So I called the detective. I said, I'm just a dad. What do I need to do? He said, well, number one, move her. All right, I can do that. And I said, do you know who this guy is? Yeah, we know who he is. We have a history with him. And he went ahead and probably against protocol, but gave me his name and address. So I got in my pickup and I drove to the town where she was at four hours away and moved her to another place, a safer place, a place where uh, this individual wouldn't know where she was at. And after I got her moved and settled in, some of you aren't going to like this, but this is what I did. I left a nine millimeter handgun with her. I said, it's loaded. If it comes to the door, shoot him. Come on, you got to defend your family. And then before I went back home, I had the address. I drove over and knocked on his door, had his description, actually his picture from the detective. He answers the door, he's about this tall, little skinny guy. I smiled and said, hey, my name is Steve Dow. You broke into my daughter's house. You've been sitting outside of her house on the street. And I come to tell you, you better stop it, and I mean now. Come on, sometimes you got to defend your family. you got to stand up for them. Listen, you are my family. And my job is to defend you, to stand between you and what the devil tries to do in your life. That's why anytime you have an issue, I want to know because I'm going to go to the Lord in prayer. I'm going to plead the blood. And if I need to take it further, I'll take it further. You need to know your pastor is standing between you and the evil one. And he's got to come through me and the Holy Ghost to get to you. Come on, defend your family. Several times over the last... Two and a half years, young ladies in our church have approached me. They had an issue. Someone was stalking them. An old boyfriend wouldn't let them go. What do we do? Well, we pray. And then I gave them my cell phone number. If they show up again, you call me. Not because I'm some big bad guy, but because there is a spiritual power and presence that defeats the forces of the enemy. And when we put ourselves between him and the one he's trying to attack, often he simply goes away because he can't win that battle. I'm here to tell you, I will stand between you and the evil one. All you have to do is let me know I'm in a battle and I need some help. And I'm on your side. I'm going to defend you because that is my responsibility to defend my family. I had an email, I read it early this morning after I came to the church. 
came in last night. It was from a young man who had been in a church I pastored in Oklahoma. And those of you who don't know me, you need to understand, I'm from Oklahoma. One side of my family, my mom's side are American Indians. My dad's side were cowboys and pioneers. So my bloodline, we've been fighting all of our lives. You know what I mean? We understand that. So that's a lot of my perspective. Our perspective on life is often influenced by how we grew up, how we were raised, our family environment. That's my perspective. This young man knew my perspective. He had since left the church that I'd pastored, married a girl, went into a nominal church. And last Wednesday night, their pastor said something to the effect of the things in Orlando were tragic. But as followers of Jesus Christ, we have to remember we are to be pacifists. We are to be non-aggressors towards the enemy. And he sent me an email, what do you think about this? Because he was greatly disturbed. And my first line was, kick the dude out of Oklahoma, he doesn't belong there. (laughs) Secondly, I said, that's absolutely no truth to it. You are called to defend your family. He went on to say, what if somebody shows up at my door and confronts me and wants my wife and my daughters? You defend your family. Get between them and evil and don't allow evil to overcome them until the first comes through you. Come on, church, you need to get this. I know this isn't the kind of message you expected. But this is truth. This is word. You need to get it in your heart and your life. You're called to defend your family. You see, many read Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 40. And they misinterpret it. I'm reading it from the Amplified Bible. Jesus said, you've heard it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Punishment that fits the offense. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person. I like the Amplified because it defines what that means. It says, who insults you or violates your rights. Whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. Simply ignore insignificant insults or trivial losses and don't bother to retaliate. Maintain your dignity, your self-respect, and your poise. Do you understand that statement defines the previous verse? That's what he's saying. Ignore insignificant offenses. Ignore insults that are insignificant. Don't retaliate. Retaliate. Maintain your dignity, your self-respect, and your poise. And if anyone wants to sue you, And take your shirt, let him have your coat also, for the Lord repays the offender. What we need to understand is in the context of that scripture, when Jesus said if someone slaps you, he's not talking about an act of violence, but he's talking about an insult. He's talking about an insult or a violation of one's personal space or rights. He's not talking about somebody trying to beat the tar out of you. You need to get that in your heart. You need to understand that. That's not what the scripture is saying. Then he goes on to say in verse 40, when he talks about if he wants your shirt, give him your coat also, he's talking about don't get involved in frivolous legal action. We shouldn't be involved in that church. That's not who we are. That's not where we belong. But nowhere in this passage does it mean we don't have the right to stand up. Understand, this is talking about insignificant, trivial insults or slights. And then people use Luke twenty-two thirty-six and misinterpret it. When Jesus said to his disciples, just before the Garden of Gethsemane, when he'd be betrayed by Judas, he said to them, but now he who has a money bag, let him take it. Likewise, a knapsack. Who has no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. That's an interesting statement. And many commentators, because they hold that pacifist view of Jesus Christ, say the only reason he said that was because he needed to fulfill an Old Testament prophecy. I've got news for you, friend. Jesus isn't that trivial in his statements. 
We need to understand he said that not because of the moment that was coming in the garden with his betrayal and his arrest and his trial and his crucifixion, but he said that because of the days that were ahead of his disciples. He wanted them to understand. You know, the first time he sent them out, he said, don't take a coat, don't take a purse. Let those people who you're ministering to provide for your needs. But the second time he's saying to you, the world you're going into is going to be hostile. It's filled with robbers and bad individuals. It's filled with hostile people towards the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you need to be prepared. He would simply tell them, get ready, get prepared for what's coming in the future and in your life. And in that day and in that time, common preparation for this type of uh, an environment involved making sure you had some money, making sure you had some provisions, and making sure you had some way to defend yourself. It was customary in that day and that time to go armed. Did you never catch the fact that Peter already had a sword? He already had one. It was customary to go armed. So he tells them, be prepared for what you're going to face in the day ahead of you. And his direction in that moment and that time was absolutely appropriate for that culture. These disciples would soon leave. They would be scattered, dispersed. And they would be going places that were hostile, traveling roads that were filled with robbers and thieves. You remember the parable of the Good Samaritan? We all focus on the Samaritan, but we forget the thieves stripped him and beat him. So we need to understand that's a part of our society, so we have to be prepared. So these passages teach us to be prepared for what's in our life ahead. They also teach us self-defense is absolutely lawful. We need to understand that if we are defending our lives or our family, that's what God wants us to do. There's nothing wrong with that. Matter of fact, yesterday, Pastor Mike, who's the head of our security, sent me a video. He and I sent a couple emails back and forth, and we decided, yeah, we probably should show this this morning. Happens to fit right into what I was preaching anyway. It's from Sheriff Wayne Ivey in Beverly County, Florida. I want you to watch this video this morning and listen to what this sheriff has to say. Hello, I'm Sheriff Wayne Ivey, and you're on scene with the Brevard County Sheriff's Office. Earlier this week, I stood at the scene of the most horrific mass shooting event in the history of our country. It was an act of terror that occurred relatively close to our community and an attack on humanity that none of us can comprehend or explain. While the thoughts and prayers of our entire agency go out to the victims, their families, and the many first responders who have been impacted, this latest attack has caused me and other law enforcement leaders to rethink our approach on how we present awareness to our citizens while providing information that may protect them during an active shooter scenario. I personally believe that the only thing that can make this tragedy even worse is to fail to learn from it and develop new strategies that just might save our citizens' lives in the future. In early December of last year, I released a video titled Enough is Enough that asked our citizens to be prepared in the event of a violent attack or active shooter scenario. In light of recent events, the time has now come to take preparedness to the next level. If you recall during that video, I told our citizens that the best law enforcement agencies in the country have response times in minutes, yet violent criminals can take our lives in seconds. As such, our citizens are the true first line of defense for themselves, their family, their friends, and their co-workers in the event of a violent situation. I can tell you that in virtually every attack or active shooter situation, once the incident starts, the cavalry is coming. But history tells us that when they arrive, they find far too many dead and even more critically injured. 
That's why it's extremely important to understand that if you find yourself in the middle of an active shooter scenario, your actions and the actions of those around you during the first 30 seconds of the attack may very well determine your chances of survival. Traditionally, law enforcement has instructed our citizens that in the event of an active shooter or violent attack, they should run, hide, fight. Starting right now, our agency is revising our awareness message for our citizens. Our plan as a community and as a country needs to be if you can't evade or escape the incident, then defend yourself and fight like your life depends on it, because it truly does. Priority number one is your safety, the safety of your family and the safety of your loved ones and friends. If there is no other option for survival, fight to neutralize or eliminate the immediate threat. I can no longer in good conscience coach our citizens to hide. If you can't escape or evade, then you have no other option but to fight. Fight together, fight to survive. This is America, a country that has stood against and fought some of the worst representations of humanity our world has ever produced. We didn't become the greatest country in the world by encouraging our citizens to hide from evil. When we were forced to fight, we fought together to eliminate the threat and survive. Our nation is based upon defending our freedoms and the protection of our way of life. We are a peaceful nation, but if you attack us, we fight back. Our new message for our citizens is based on the reality of today's threat. It is based on the fact that bad people don't play by the rules, criminals do not fight fair, and they murder without hesitation. If you cannot escape or evade, then defend yourself by any means possible. If you're in a group, then fight together. Our message is to survive. There is no doubt that an active shooter, regardless of their agenda or motivation, is a terrorist that is committed to creating fear and waging war against our society and our citizens. In many active shooter scenarios, a number of victims were murdered as they attempted to hide, helplessly awaiting the arrival of law enforcement, while unfortunately, but realistically, waiting for the shooter to find them. From this point forward, if you can't avoid the violence or evade the threat, the next priority should be to defend yourself and fight. The perception has always been that the option to fight is a last resort. However, I'm standing here today to tell you that there is no specific order in the options to save your life. Be prepared to make difficult decisions in seconds while doing everything you can to save yourself and those around you. Accept the scenario and understand that it is the worst scenario imaginable. Your situation will dictate the tactics and direction you will need to take to survive. General George Patton once said, a good plan, violently executed now, is better than a perfect plan next week. I personally believe that in an active shooter scenario, survival may be determined in seconds, and every second counts. Law enforcement has traditionally adapted to new methods and tactics to address threats, so it's only logical that we have to change our way of thinking on how we train our citizens to survive. Essentially, it's time to give our citizens the awareness and tools they need to be sheepdogs and not the sheep. It's also time that we send a clear message to the cowardly wolves who expect to find sheep. This is America, and the game just changed. As we face attack after attack, it's our time to change our way of thinking. There is no doubt that some things are out of our control. Even as good as our law enforcement officers are, they can't stop every evil intention, and without question, will never be able to completely and successfully predict a mental health episode before it happens. What we can't control is how we prepare our citizens, how we inform our community, and how we work together to protect our nation. I want our citizens to know that we are all in this fight together. We are partners in protecting our community. And while we are trying to get to the scene as quickly as possible to help you and those around you, 
You are the true first line of defense until we arrive. Moving forward, our team has developed a new concept based upon the four A's of survival. Awareness, avoidance, arm, attack. Always be aware of your surroundings. Be prepared to avoid the threat if possible. Arm yourself with anything that can be used to defend and ultimately attack if there is no other option for survival. It is important to remember that there is no specific order to the elements of this technique as each option, either independently or used together, may be your only chance to survive a violent event. Awareness. Do not wait for the emergency to happen to go into action, but instead go into action right now to save your life by being prepared. Know your surroundings and routinely ask yourself, what if? Avoid. If possible, avoid the attacker by running from the threat and escaping potential harm. When possible, encourage others to run with you. If you're unable to completely escape or evade the threat, then look for a place to securely barricade yourself and then prepare to defend yourself if you are found. Arm yourself. I have previously stated and I will state again, the only thing that stops a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. If you have a concealed carry permit and the venue allows you to carry your gun, then by all means carry your gun and be prepared to defend yourself. Remember, when the prey is armed, the predator thinks twice. If you have chosen a firearm to protect yourself and have not done so already, please sign up to take our self-defense through tactical shooting and decision-making course. You can learn more about this course by visiting our website at brevardsheriff.com. If you are not someone who is comfortable in carrying a gun or find yourself in a venue that prohibits carrying a concealed firearm, then the next best thing is to arm yourself with anything in sight. Attack. If you find yourself in the middle of a violent situation, quickly assess the threat and realize that your best chance to save your life and those around you may be to defend yourself. Look for opportunities to attack the perpetrator as they are not expecting you to fight back. Work together as a team. There is strength in numbers and even the most prepared attacker is unable to overcome an attack that is coming from all angles. In most cases, the shooter is alone and unprepared for resistance. They expect you to run and hide, so resistance may be the one thing that saves your life and everyone with you. In the coming weeks, our team will be providing a new and very realistic training course that will be available for our citizens. On behalf of our entire agency, I want to thank you for taking the time to watch this important message and for sharing it with your family and friends. I ask you to remember that they can only defeat us if we sit idly by and allow them to do so. I truly believe that they will never defeat us if we stand together, shoulder to shoulder, and say we have had enough. In the immortal words of 9-11 hero Todd Beamer, are you ready? Let's roll. Mike, I felt that was important for everyone here to hear. I know it challenges some of your thinking, but it needs to be challenged. We need to understand that we have a responsibility to defend our family. I encourage you to do that. Have questions? See Pastor Mike about on Main Street after the service. Bryce Kugel is one of our members as well, a member of the Sheriff's Department. He can answer any questions you have for you as well. If you're interested in a conceal and carry permit, talk to Pastor Mike. He's one of the instructors. I believe we should, by the way, I've had one for years. Don't intend to give it up. So plan to uh, defend your family. Last, number three, who are you called to stand in the gap for? Who needs you to stand between them and the enemy? See, the Bible says in Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 30, I sought for a man among them. This is God speaking. I sought for a man among them who would make up a wall, stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. So often we hear that verse, but we don't know what set it up, what caused God to make that statement. 
I want to back up a few verses and read verse 26 through 30 from the message. This is what God said to Israel. Your priests violated my law. They desecrated my holy things. They can't tell the difference between secular and sacred. Oh, come on, folks. We need to understand we're living in that same day and time when the church has dropped the ball. They tell people there's no difference between right and wrong. They're contemptuous of my Sabbaths, profaning me by trying to pull me down to their level. Your politicians are like wolves, prowling and killing and rapturously taking whatever they want. Your preachers cover up for the politicians by pretending to have received visions and special revelations. And they say, this is what God the Master says, when God hadn't so much as said a word. Extortion is rife. Robbery is epidemic. The poor and needy are abused. Outsiders are kicked around at will with no access to judgment. And then he says, verse 30, I looked for someone to stand up for me against all this, to repair the defenses of the city, to take a stand for me and stand in the gap to protect this land so I would not have to destroy it. But I found no one. This morning, if you're in this room, and you want to step into your assignment, you want to do what God is calling you to do, you want to defend your family, defend your faith, and you want to stand in the gap for someone in your life. Would you stand to your feet right where you're at? If you're not serious about it, keep your seat. There is absolutely no condemnation if you don't stand. I get it. You can remain seated, but if you're going to do what God is saying to me and to many of us in this room to do, stand to your feet. There's an old song that says... Jesus is the answer. Listen to me, folks. No matter what we face, no matter what we do, there is still only one answer. His name is Jesus Christ. Our assignment is to take that answer to a dark world. Our assignment is to live with such hope that His light shines through us and attracts men and women to Him. And then in our assignment, we determine to defend our faith. I will have an answer for the hope that is within me. I'll be prepared to tell somebody why I can smile when it's black out there. Why I can live with confidence when there's no hope in the world. And then I'm going to defend my family. I'm going to stand between them and the evil one. He's got to come through me to get to them. And that includes you in this room as well. And then I'm going to say, God, who do I need to stand in the gap for? Who do I need to intercede for? God, I don't want it to be said of my nation that you looked for a man to stand in the gap and to make up the wall. And there was none because I'm saying, God, there's at least one right here, right here. Father, in the name of Jesus, would you infuse your church with spiritual power today? Would you convince each and every one of us this is the day to stand up, walk in our assignment and be messengers of a living God? And Lord, would you fill us with courage? The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13, Be brave. Be men. Make us men today. Make us courageous today. Give us the ability through the power of the Holy Ghost to step into our assignments and to see men and women's lives change through you. I pray it in the name that's above every name. Would you sing it out with me? Jesus is the answer. Sing it out, Tom. Our prayer is that God will take this word and plant good eternal seeds deep into your soul. Father, we pray for your great wisdom to infiltrate this listener, draw them to you, and take them gently down the road to their next destination in life. And if you're in need of a home church, 
We invite you to join us at Christian Heritage Church on Shera Road in Tallahassee, Florida. A multicultural church founded on the truth of God's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. For a worship service where the presence of God has first place, you're invited to Christian Heritage Church. Sunday morning service is at 10.30, Wednesday evening at 7, plus youth group and kid power and small groups and more. For all the latest information, visit our website, chctoday.com.